the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Samuel. Whether or not we particularly like a person in authority or voted for a person in authority, do you understand that all through the Bible, God uses the righteous and the unrighteous in authority to accomplish His purposes? Sometimes God allows the unrighteous to rule, to draw us closer to Him, and to teach us some things even when we don't respect the person. God says, but I still want you to respect the authority of that position until I'm done. We live in a world packed full of people, people with different mindsets and opinions. So politically, we won't always completely get our way. Because there are so many people, our government can't make everyone happy all at once. In today's message, Pastor Gary will encourage you to respect and honor what God has told us about those in authority. He told us in the scriptures to honor those in the positions that make our laws for our country. Whether we agree or not, we must honor them as Jesus would. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 26 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Chapter 25, just to get a running start to refresh this, chapter 25 was um, an encounter that David had with a farmer, a wealthy farmer by the name of Nabal, and David is at a period in his life where he is on the run, literally for his life, from King Saul, who is jealous of David, who is insecure, and so he's trying to kill David on many occasions, and David is on the run, um, trusting the Lord, but still, you know, uh, we can trust the Lord, but you don't need to stand in front of a moving bus either, you know, and so, so David's like, you know what, I'm not going to stand here in front of a moving bus, I'm going to move, and I'm going to hide, and I'm going to seek the Lord, and many of the Psalms that David writes will be birthed out of this season of his life when he is on the run, and he's in the wilderness, and he is weary, and he's tired, and he's seeking the Lord, and and he's, um, he's, you know, he's depressed often. You know, a lot of times when you read the Psalms, you read raw emotion. David writes three-fourths of the book of Psalms. And uh, several of those Psalms come out of this time in his life where he's just on the run and he's just questioning God and like, you know, Lord, what are you up to and why are you allowing this? And I thought I was supposed to be king and yet I'm running from the guy that you still have as king. And So that's this period of his life. In chapter 25, David encounters this guy by the name of Nabal, and it tells us in chapter 25 that David had uh, just voluntarily, along with his, he has like a ragtag army that's been following him throughout these these wilderness wanderings, 
Um, and he and his army have been guarding Nabal's flock for free just because they are in the area and they're trying to do a kind thing. Well, it is, it is kind of a common thing that if you receive a favor, you return a favor. So David sends some messengers to Nabal seeing that David is, David's like got nothing except the shirt on his back and these soldiers with him. And so, you know, he's got no source of like provisions and income. So he sends a couple of his servants to Nabal and says, hey, Nab, you know, listen, we've been watching your flocks for nothing. Uh, how about you consider giving David, these are the servants speaking to Nabal, you give David some compensation, whatever you think is fair. We're not going to you know, bill you, but it would just be nice if maybe you could provide something for us. And Nabal just dismisses them. He's like, David who? David who? David, the son of Jesse, who is this guy? Well, everybody knows who David is because his name had spread with great fame across Israel, especially after he killed Goliath. And so the messengers go back to David and say, he's, he's not willing to give us anything. And David says, strap your swords on your hips, boys, because we're going to go visit Nabal. And Nabal has a wife who's smarter than Nabal, and her name is Abigail. And Abigail decides to meet David on the road and to calm his fury. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath. And so Abigail says to David, you know, how about I fix you guys, you and your army, a nice meal, and you all just kind of simmer down now, simmer, simmer down now. And so David says, all right, all right, I'll simmer down. And, and he does not kill Nabal, even though he, that was what he was determined to do. Abigail goes to Nabal and says, just want you to know, I just saved your life because David was ready to come and kill you, but I fixed him a nice supper and he and his guys were all satisfied and the way to a man's heart is through his stomach and I did a good favor for you, Nabal. And the Bible says that Nabal's heart froze within him. And so the language probably indicates that he has a heart attack, just probably contemplating what could have happened. And eventually, a few days later, he dies. And uh, the Lord took him out. The Lord took him out because of his unkindness against David and David's army. And so now David says, well, now that Nabal is dead, uh, his wife is a widow, and I need to have compassion on her. How about she becomes my wife? And so he takes her as a wife, and she's very eager to go with him, too, because, you know, Nabal was just, you know, a mean cuss. And uh, so you could tell Abigail's just like, finally, somebody's here to rescue me. And so she has no problems going with David. But this is going to be wife number three for David. Um, He's got Abigail now. At the end of chapter 25, it says also in verse 43, David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel, and so both of them were his wives. But remember, before those two, he had Michal, the daughter of Saul, but he had been separated from Michal while he was on the run from Saul, and the end of chapter 25 says, but Saul had given Michal, his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was from Galim. Now, David will get Michal back later in 2 Samuel chapter 3, but for the moment, he's separated from her. But he's got these three wives, and we ended 
Uh, last time, looking at this principle from chapter 25, I just want to make sure everybody knows because sometimes it's confusing when people read their Bibles and they think, is this an okay thing? It was never an okay thing. Polygamy was not God's design. It was man's desire. God's design for marriage has always been one man with one woman. That's Genesis 2.24. And so, as I said last time, sometimes the Bible reads like a newspaper. A newspaper records the good things and the bad things about humanity. Everything you read in the Bible does not mean that God condones it necessarily. This is certainly one of those things he did not condone because his intent was marriage should be between one man and one woman. So the fact that David has three wives now is not in step with the will of God. So I just want to make that clear. Sometimes people think, well, that was, that was okay then. It was never okay then. Not with God it wasn't. That, that was just man acting on his own flesh. And so, so now chapter 26, it says this, verse 1, follow along. It says, now the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, is David not hiding in the hill of Hakilah opposite Jejimon? And then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And the Ziphites, you know, they, they're the tattletales. They're, they're the like, you know what, Saul, we heard that David is in the wilderness of Ziph. And, you know, people were always trying to ingratiate themselves with King Saul. And so they're, they're you know, calling out David and giving up his location. And, um, and so they report to him, David's in the wilderness of Ziph. And so what does Saul do? Take 3,000 soldiers. Like, how many do you need for this? Um, but this is the kind of guy that Saul is. And and so uh, here he comes on the hunt for, for David. It says in verse 3, And Saul encamped in the hill of Hakilah, which is opposite Jezumon, by the road. But David stayed in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul had indeed come. And so David arose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay, and Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army. Now Saul lay within the camp, with the people encamped all around him. And then David answered and said to Ahimelech the Hittite, and to Abishai the son of Zeruiah, brother of Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? So, you know, Saul is on the hunt for David, and Saul encamps here, and it mentions there in verse uh, 5, the commander of Saul's army, the commander of the Israeli army is a guy by the name of Abner. So you have Saul and Abner. Now the equivalent is going to be David and Abishai. Abishai is going to be the commander of David's small little army. He's only got 600 soldiers, but, you know, and, he's, and he's trying to defend himself against Saul with 3,000 soldiers. And so Saul encamps um, in this place uh, for the night, and, um, and David says, who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? And the rest of verse 6, and Abishai said, I will go down with you. Now, Abishai happens to be the nephew of David. Uh, it tells us that Abishai is the son of Zeruiah. Zeruiah was the sister of David. So it looks a little confusing uh, there in verse 6. It says, Then David answered and said to Ahimelech the Hittite, And Abishai the son of Zeruiah, brother of Joab. Zeruiah is not the brother of Joab. Abishai is the brother of Joab. 
and they are both the sons of Zeruiah, and that's a female. She's the sister of David. And so Abishai, the leader of David's army, is David's nephew. And, uh, and he's a real zealous guy, Abishai. He is young, somewhat impulsive, but very zealous for Israel, zealous for God, zealous for David, for Uncle David. And um, he's a little bit of a hothead, too. In fact, uh, in Second, you don't need to turn there, I'll just uh, read it real quick. But in 2 Samuel chapter 16 and in verse 9, there's this guy who was uh, taunting David and in 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 9, it says, And then Abishai, the son of Zariah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog cause my lord the king? Uh, curse my lord the king. Please let me go over and take off his head. So that's this guy. He's like, have sword, we'll travel. Like, I just want to take somebody's head off. That's Abishai. And so David, David's always kind of like, you know, calm down, Abishai. Like, you know, don't, don't get out of control here. But nevertheless, that's this kind of zealous guy. And he's so zealous that when David says, hey, I'm going to sneak into Saul's camp. Who wants to go with me? Abishai's like, I'm going with you, Uncle David. I'm going to go right with you right now. And so here they go. And so verse 7, so David and Abishai came to the people by night. They sneak into Saul's camp. And there Saul lay sleeping within the camp with his spear stuck in the ground by his head. And Abner, that's Saul's general, Abner and the people lay all around him. Okay, but they're not guarding him very well. And then verse 8, then Abishai said to David, God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now, therefore, please let me strike him at once with the spear right to the earth. And I will not have to strike him a second time. Promise I won't miss, Uncle David. Just give me the chance right now. And David's like, calm down, please. Verse 9, David said to Abishai, do not destroy him. For who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said, furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him. Like God's going to take care of Saul. Or his day shall come to die. Or he shall go out to battle and perish, which is what ends up happening. Verse 11, the Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Now, notice David uses that phrase twice about Saul, that he is the Lord's anointed. And he continues in verse 11, he says, but please take now the spear and the jug of water that are, that are by his head and let us go. So, like, we're going to confiscate his spear and jug of water as evidence that we've been here. That's what David says. But he says, I, we, we can't kill this guy. Now, if this sounds familiar to you, it's because just two chapters over in chapter 24, do you remember when... David and his men were in a cave down at En Gedi, and Saul, on a previous occasion, who's hunting him down, goes into the cave to go to the bathroom, doesn't realize David and his men are at the way back of the cave. David sneaks up, cuts a part of the hem of his garment, and then David basically says to Saul, I had a chance to kill you. I mean, you know, you were going to the bathroom, like, like you were pretty defenseless. Your, your army was outside the cave, not knowing we were in there too. I could have killed you. And Saul, in chapter 24, basically says to David, you're a bigger man than I am. You're more righteous than I am. Because I've been trying to kill you. You had the chance to kill me, and you didn't. And why didn't David? Because he said the same thing back in chapter 24 that he's saying right here in chapter 26. He says, until God is done with Saul, I have to respect the king's office. 
that he still is God's man until God is done with him. As much as David was, you know, so weary from running from this guy, David still understood, but I have to honor God. Even though this guy's not honorable, I have to honor God. And so I'm going to put up the same principle that we had from chapter 24, but it's worth repeating because it's the same theme here in chapter 26. Even if you don't respect the person, you should show respect for the position of authority. And sometimes we get this confused, even in our own culture. We think, well, I don't like that boss. I don't like, you know, that president. I don't like that governor. I don't like whatever, some position. I don't like that coach. And so we instantly think, if I don't like them, I get to disrespect them. And we have to understand that whether or not we particularly like a person in authority or voted for a person in authority, do you understand that all through the Bible, God uses the righteous and the unrighteous in authority to accomplish his purposes? Sometimes God allows the unrighteous to rule, to draw us closer to him, and to teach us some things even when... We don't respect the person. God says, but I still want you to respect the authority of that position until I'm done. And so, you know, look, God, God teaches us stuff through righteous leaders and even through unrighteous leaders. God raises up kings, Daniel says, and God deposes kings. But that's up to God to do. And David understood this. And he had the opportunity Not once, but now twice to take Saul out. And David said, until God, he said, God, God could do, God can kill him or he could die naturally or he could die in battle. But that's all up to God. I'm not going to take matters into my own hands. And so verse 12. And so David took the spear and the jug of water by Saul's head and they got away. And no man saw or knew it or awoke, for they were all asleep because, notice, a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. So so God God caused a deep sleep to fall. That's why David, you know, had success like this. By the way, you know, there's times I look out and I see that God has brought deep sleep on some of you all. (sighs) I don't know if God did that or you did that, but anyway, or I did that to you. But anyway, verse 13 And now David went over to the other side and stood on the top of a hill afar off, a great distance being between them. And David called out to the people and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Do you not answer, Abner? Then Abner answered and said, Why are you calling out the king? Or who are you calling out the king? And so David said to Abner, Are you not a man? And who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not guarded your Lord the king? Well, that's like, you know, taking a shot at his manhood. It's like, well, you weren't man enough to guard your own king. And uh, he says, for one of the people came in to destroy your Lord the king. And this thing that you have done is not good as the Lord lives. David says, you deserve to die because you have not guarded your master, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jug of water that was by his head. And then Saul knew David's voice and said, is that your voice, my son, David? Now, he's not his biological son, but, you know, it's just this, he's, he's like a father figure to him. And, and David said, it is my voice, my Lord, O king. And he said, why does my Lord thus pursue his servant? For what have I done or what evil is in my hand? Same, same conversation he had back in chapter 24. 
Now therefore, please, David says, this is verse 19. Now therefore, please let my Lord the king hear the words of his servant. If the Lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. But if it is the children of men, may they be cursed before the Lord, for they have driven me out this day from sharing in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, go serve other gods. So now do not let my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord, for the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea, as when one hunts a partridge in the mountains. And so, so David's like, you know, listen, why, 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 why are you going to all this effort to kill me? Like, like I'm, I'm just a, a flea. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not worth fighting here. And then Saul said in verse 21, I have sinned. See how, you know, he's just such a duplicitous man. He's like back and forth and back and forth. He goes, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will harm you no more, because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Indeed, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. And David answered and said, here is the king's spear. Let one of the young men come over and get it. May the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered you into my hand today. But I would not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. And indeed, as your life was valued much this day in my eyes, so let my life be valued much in the eyes of the Lord. And let him deliver me out of all the tribulation. And then Saul said to David, may you be blessed, my son David. You shall both do great things and also still prevail. And so David went on his way and Saul returned to his place. So again, the conversation is very similar to chapter 24. David doesn't trust Saul, though. I mean, he's heard this speech before and Saul's gone back on his word. Um, you know, Saul is one of these guys who gets convicted in the moment, but then, you know, given a little bit of time, he falls back into his old ways. He is a very tormented man. He is a man who has been disobedient to God, and the result of that uh, is that he is uh, a man who is himself um, very tormented. And, and so David has this conversation. David leaves. Saul goes back to his place. Well, chapter 27. It's starting to take a toll now on David. Because it says, And David said in his heart, Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. And Saul will despair of me to seek me any more in any part of Israel, so I shall escape out of his hand. Now, I want you to notice what is happening here with David. He's starting to spiral. And despite the fact that he's had this amicable conversation with Saul, he's still, this is taking a toll. You know, by this time, by the time you get here to chapter 20, 27 uh, into chapter 28, David has been on the run from Saul for about 10 years. 10 years. And so it starts to take its toll. And what hits David are the twin enemies of discouragement and despair. Now, David says, Saul will despair because if I retreat to the Philistine territory, Saul will be in despair and he'll give up and he won't hunt me down anymore. The reality is that David is the one in despair because you have to be in a bad place to think that there's safety in enemy territory. I mean, the Philistines are the enemies of Israel. 
And David actually thinks to himself, I would be better off with the Philistines. Now, listen, same thing kind of happened with the Hebrews when they left Egypt. And then they got into a place of despair and discouragement. They're in the wilderness. They're like, there's no food. There's no water. And, you know, wow, wow, wow. And all this stuff, despite the fact God was providing for them every single day. And what did they say? We were better off in Egypt. No, you weren't. You were slaves in Egypt. What are you talking about? But you see what happens sometimes when people get into a place of despair and they get into a place of discouragement, that you can entertain all kinds of things that aren't even good for you. That's all we have for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to this message from 1 Samuel again, or if you'd like to explore other messages from Pastor Gary, just visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Under the Teachings option, you can download our mobile app to stay connected with God's Word everywhere you go. You will also find our companion resources. These digital study guides are meant to give you even more insight into some of the studies Pastor Gary has done and are available free of charge to you. While you're there, take a minute to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify so you never miss another message. You'll also find links with more information about the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you in person. Come visit us. You'll find service times and more information about Cornerstone Chapel at cornerstoneconnection.cc. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today, so put a marker in your Bible where we left off today in 1 Samuel and make plans to join Pastor Gary next time. Thanks again for listening to today's teaching right here on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know, still you know you're not alone. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.